So over the past few weeks, we've been in boot camp as we've been doing this basic training series, studying the armor of God. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the sword, which was the word of God and how power uh, really comes from knowing it and then speaking it in life circumstances. And I wanted to give you a heads up that this morning, the piece of armor that the kids are learning about is the sword. And as with each week of the series, they're getting something physical to represent the armor. And in every class, kids are being told to be safe with their swords, with that the sword is a weapon to be used against evil, but not against people, all right? And so if you see your child not handling their sword well, you have our permission to do what you need to do with that. But I don't see any of the 150 kids that are back there misusing their sword, right? Like, absolutely not. Maybe that's a little naive, I don't know. Two weeks ago, we saw that truth is our foundation and that we need to fight hard not to let the lies of Satan or of other people win the battle in our minds because we saw what happens as we allow lie after lie to keep adding up. And man, we can be thankful for the truth of God. And then last week, Rick talked about how God, who is the one who is righteous, makes each of us righteous how he makes us blameless and pure as we live in him. And it's not about trying harder, but allowing him to work inside of us. And the truth of who we are in him is huge to being able to win this battle. And so that brings us to our topic today. And a few weeks ago, I remember kids walking through the hallways with medical shoes on their feet. You know, these little booties, these covers. And the kids had ready feet. And so in thinking about kids and feet, there's a certain scene that comes from a fantastic movie that came to my mind, Monsters Incorporated. And in this scene, there's a monster named Mike Rosowski. He's a helper monster to this monster named Sully, who his job is to go and scare. And the more kids that they scare, they get energy and such. Well, in this movie, the monsters are told not to let kids touch them because bad results could happen if, if a kid touches you. And so Mike wakes Sully up for training and he starts him out with push-ups. And so he's doing push-ups. And then he yells, kids awake. And whenever that happens, Sully hits the floor so he's not seen. Whenever he yells the word, um, kids awake, or kids asleep at that point, then he screams to growl, you know, scaring this kid. He even has him practice for twins on a bunk bed. So he's scaring high and he's scaring low. He has um, a stick and then he puts this face of a kid on it and starts chasing Sully around the room so that Sully can not touch this kid. You know, he practices um, being able to escape those moments. He has him push a, pull, uh, a full pile of furniture across the room so that he can become stronger. He makes him brush his teeth because we've got to fight plaque as well. And then he has him do these crunches from a bar in a hallway. And yet the thing that I remember most clearly about that scene is that he has Sully run in place. And while he's running in place, he says, scary feet, scary feet, scary feet. And I think about that because part of Sully's training has to do with his stance and being able to move quickly and accurately. His feet need to be ready. Which brings us to our verse for today. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15. And you can feel free to turn there in your Bibles as we read this verse. You can write anything you want in the margins. I'm actually going to read this verse six times in a row, but from different translations. 
So you can hear the little bit of differences that the authors have decided this is the best way to translate this. And so again, in verse 14, it talked about having the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And then verse 15. So the NIV puts it this way. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. If you were to read this verse in the ESV, it says this. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. If you read it in the King James Version, it says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The NASB says, and having strapped on your feet with preparation, the gospel of peace. The New Living Translation says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. And then the CSB, it says, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. And as I read all six of those translations, there are certain words that were in every single one of them. And then there are some that are close in meaning, but it's not quite as easy to understand as if you just hear belt of truth or breastplate of righteousness. And so let's start looking at the feet. Feet, that's one of all of those um, translations except for one, use that word within there. And when I hear the word feet, there are two passages from the Bible that come to mind. The first is when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And maybe that one pops into your mind real quickly. The people's feet back then, they would have been dirty because there were not concrete roads or sidewalks to be able to walk on, but dirt. And animals were all over the place too, and they weren't kind enough to use the restroom and actual bathrooms. And so because of that, like, that just added to the dirtiness and the grossness of everywhere that you walked. And so servants were supposed to wash the feet of guests, which was the lowliest of jobs. And yet Jesus chose to do it this one night when no one else did. He then instructed his followers to serve in the same way because no one is too good to serve somebody else. The second instance of feet that comes to my mind is actually found in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. And this is what it says. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And a portion of that verse is actually found in Romans 10, where Paul talks about how everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he says, but how can they call on him if they've never believed? Well, and how can they believe if they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how will someone preach to them if they are not sent? And Paul then says, how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. You see, in speaking of beautiful feet, both Isaiah and Paul are referring to the messenger who is bringing this good news and how thankful those were who received it. Oftentimes, messengers would run to deliver important messages, especially those about the result of a battle. And so when the news was good, ah, that is beautiful feet. And there are a lot of scholars out there that will tell you in this passage in Ephesians 6 regarding the armor of God that it's all about carrying the good news to other people. Like we need to be ready to speak all about Jesus and what he has done. And while I will not deny that that's something that's very biblical, it isn't what the focus of what Paul is here with the armor of God. 
Here's how we can tell. First of all, the Roman guard that Paul is looking at as he's writing all these things from jail and he's looking outside, this guard is not going and carrying any type of news. But secondly, Paul doesn't just mention feet. Like he doesn't stop there. That's not his focus. He also says to shod or to put on, to sandal, to strap up something. And so in this case, it's not about the message that we take. Instead, we need to put on the shoes of readiness or preparedness. And so if you were to Google a Roman military shoe, you would see a lot of sandal-type pictures where these shoes would have had straps around the base of the foot as well as the ankle. And then on the bottom, there would have been these small hobnails, like picture an ancient version of the sole of a golf shoe or a track spike. You see, the purpose of these shoes was to give sure footing in battle to the soldier, but also it allowed him to march and move quickly. You see, Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar, they both had militaries that were able to undertake long marches at incredible speeds over rough terrain because their militaries had good shoes. So being sure-footed in the heat of battle, and that could be the difference between life or death. You don't want to slip and leave yourself exposed to the enemy. But instead, you want a firm foundation. You want a good base. And that's the idea of the word that is translated ready or prepared. You know, I remember in college on our dorm floor, there was a phase that we had some fun playing this specific game. And what would happen is you would stand kind of about arm's length apart from somebody else. And your feet were about shoulder length. And then what you had to do was have your hands out like this. And the only thing you could do was hit the other person's hands, and they could only hit your hands. And so there were different options that you could do. You could choose to swing hard and try and knock them off. You could make it look like you were going to hit hard, but you kind of went soft instead. You could choose to stand there and wait for them to come hit you, and you were hard, and maybe it would knock them off. Or you could look like you were going to push back, but actually you kind of go limp, and maybe they would fall into you. And so you were only allowed to hit the other person's hand, and the first person that took a step or fell into the other person lost. And one key ingredient to being good at that game was having your good foundation, was having a good base. And I think about how even this good foundation is important in contact sports like wrestling and football and other ones. Otherwise, you lose your upper hand to the opponent. Or even thinking about other sports, your stance is important to be able to play defense or to react to certain situations. Essentially, it allows you to be the best that you can be. And so Paul says, we want to have feet that have been prepared. We want to have feet that are ready for whatever may come at us. We need to have our shoes on. But in our text, that's not where Paul stops as well. You see, you and I, we all know that there are all sorts of different types of shoes out there. You've got house shoes and dress shoes. You have casual shoes. You have all sorts of athletic shoes. You know, ladies, I wonder if I were to look in your closet, is it full of shoes for different occasions? Husbands, be careful how you respond to that because it may be a completely different kind of battle that we're talking in. But I think about these types of shoes, and it's not just enough to put on a shoe, but you have to have the right kind of shoe. Like, I seriously thought about walking out here in big, fuzzy slippers today <laughs> and just seeing what you thought about that. Some of you'd be like, he's completely crazy. Some of you'd be like, it's Andy. <laughs> so we'll figure it out. 
But I think about like, what if you wanted to go do some ballet, but you're wearing like cowboy boots? Like that just doesn't work. Or even I think about another movie back when Michael Jordan is ready to work on some drills with the Looney Tunes because they are going to take on the Monstars. And he quickly finds out that his golf spikes are not going to work because they're stuck in the wooden floor and they cause him to fall over. You see, you and I, we must have the right kind of shoe if we want to succeed, especially in this battle that we're fighting. And so what kind of shoe does Paul say that we need to wear? Well, he says ones that are ready, ones that are prepared, ones that are trained in the gospel of peace. That last part is so key. Gospel. Like that word means good news. Originally, it was a political word that was used for royal announcements or things that had to do with victory in battle. And so, hey, he is going to be the next king. That is the gospel. We have won the victory. That is gospel. But the New Testament writers, like they latch onto this word to show how important the gospel or the good news of Jesus really was. That though we were sinners, we were separated from God without any hope whatsoever of being able to be with him again. God came to earth and he died on a cross to take the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, so that we could have life forever with no ending and live this life in forgiveness and grace. We're seen as righteous, not evaluated on the things that we have done in our past. And God himself lives within us as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That is the gospel. And yet, if we've grown up in church, or even you've been coming to church for a while, we have to be cautious against allowing that good news just to be taken for granted. Or that good news to just kind of become okay news, instead of the life-changing news that it is. You know what? In one of my studies, I found that the Greek word used for this good news in the Bible, it wasn't used that much outside of the Bible during the New Testament times because it referred to this good news that was almost too good to be true. And that's the message of God's kingdom and our part in it, both now and forever, that it's almost too good to be true. And yet, it is true. The part of this gospel, this good news that Paul writes about is peace gospel of peace, the good news of peace. You know, I look around this world, whether it be different countries, whether it be different groups of people, whether it be different philosophies and theories, whether I look at family units, whether I look at the church. And as I take a step back, I kind of think we got this peace thing figured out. Like we are really good at it everywhere you look. And you know that as I say that statement, that's completely the opposite. It just seems like everywhere it is so far from peace. Now, there are moments of peace that we get to see glimpses of, whether that's in an individual or whether that's in groups, whether large or small. But peace is not a word that I would use to describe the state of the world. Anxiety, worry, insecurity, disturbance, hate, frustration, disharmony, agitation, war, distress. Those are all antonyms or opposites of the word peace, and those things I tend to see a lot wherever I look. 
But I know that all of us, we are created to have this desire for God and the things of God. And we all want peace at some level. But so often we look in the wrong places to find it. For instance, sometimes we look to friends. Man, if I have this place that I fit in, this place where I am liked, a place to belong, like that's what is going to bring me peace. Or sometimes we just think about vacations. Like, man, we plan them long way and we're looking forward to them. And it'll give me a chance just to be able to relax or a place where I can get away and, you know, kind of step out of the day-to-day real world as sometimes we talk about it. Like, I'm looking forward to the peace that I get there. Or we could talk about entertainment, whether it's something that we just watch or we're involved in social media. And I can just check out for a while. You know, maybe I can laugh or I can dream about how things maybe could be. And so maybe I find some peace in that. Or maybe it's a better job. You know, once I get this better job, like I find this purpose, I'll have respect from people. And so there's just this peace that will come from that. Or sometimes we look for peace in money. Simply that, hey, I have security in this, or I'm able to buy these things that I desire, and so that's what life's about, and I can find this enjoyment, this peace. Sometimes our first place that we stop is medication. And you know what? It's going to stop whatever's causing the pain and the anxiety. Or sometimes we rush to some sort of substance that maybe it's just going to numb me for a while. And I won't even know what's going on, but I won't have to feel the pain. I'll feel some sort of peace. Now, you see, most of the things that I just mentioned, they're not bad, although the substances probably are not too good. But many people, in their search for peace, they run to those things first before they run to God, if they even choose to run to Him at all. And as you interact with those areas, they sometimes bring temporary peace or temporary security or temporary pleasure. But then the next morning happens or the vacation comes to an end or your friend stabs you in the back promises from a significant other are broken. Your job is now in jeopardy and money is tight. And you're farther from peace than when you started. You see, that's not the peace for which we're to stand upon, the one in which we're to focus upon. That kind of peace is temporary and it is a very slippery footing. But the peace that God offers is something completely different. The word is used in the Bible within the context of having peace with God, the idea that no longer are we separated from him because of sin. And so we're no longer enemies when we choose to be on his side. And there's this peace with him as we live our lives. We're not afraid of him. We're not against him. There's a peace with God. There's also a peace with men. But scripture tells us, as much as it is up to us to live at peace with others, And so we're told to seek peace. We're told to be peacemakers. We're told that peace is a fruit of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit works in us to use for other people. And so God wants us to, and he equips us to, live in harmony with other people, peace with others. And yet there's also this peace that's an experience in life situations. It allows us to have a clear conscience. It allows you to have rest from a struggle. And there's multiple times that Jesus tells someone who is healed or forgiven to go in peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled. and Do not be afraid. 
You see, the world's peace, it is based on circumstances and it is temporary, but God's peace, it is with us no matter what. It is eternal. It does not come from that which is external. And in John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, peace from the Bible in this context is a calmness it's a tranquility of soul despite external turmoil. You see, no matter what is going on in my world around me, I can still have a calmness, and that is peace. I heard a story where there were two painters who were asked to paint a picture of peace as part of a contest. And so the first painter painted this beautiful picture of a lake, this lake ever so still as it could be with the sun shining down upon it. And next to that lake, there was a shepherd, and he had some sheep that he was leading. There were trees with birds in it, and the whole picture was calm, just tranquility and peace. The second painter, like he came out with his painting, and it was quite different. The sky was pitch black. There was lightning shooting through. The water was billowing up and down. Boats were being turned over. Trees were blowing in the wind. Like It was a picture of disaster. But in the corner, on the left-hand side, there was a little bird standing on a rock, singing its song as one little light came out of all the chaos. And that second painting shows what biblical peace is. That when life is going crazy, when it looks like a disaster, there is still something inside of me that says, it's going to be all right. And if you're only at peace when your life is like the first painting, you're looking to the world to find peace. But in the midst of the darkest storm, when you're able to trust, when you're able to follow, when you're able to worship, that's what godly peace looks like. And if you're asked, how do you have that? You can answer, honestly, I have no idea. But somehow God has given to this me, given to this, given this to me, just as Philippians chapter four, verse seven says, and the peace of God, which transcends all your understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see yourself sitting on the rock amongst the storm, being able to sing? That does not mean that you have to like the storm. It does not mean that you even have to understand why am I having to go through this storm right now? It doesn't mean you don't have moments of worry or anxiety or uneasiness, but your life is not being lived where peace is only present when all is well in my world. Because you see, peace is often present as we overcome something. In fact, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, is a song that is often associated with the peace of God. And the original poem was written by someone who had to overcome something, like the sudden loss of his family. And in that song, verse 1 speaks to how, you know what, there are times in life, man, everything is peaceful. And there are times when everything is so full of sorrow. And yet, I can say, it is well with my soul. Verse 2 says, Satan is here and trials are there and they're trying to take me down. But I can be reminded of Christ and that he has saved me. And so it is well with my soul. 
verse three, it gets us to thinking about our own sin and how we can be at peace, how we can praise him because of his sacrifice. He took all of my sin, not part of it, not even most of it, but all of it. It is nailed to the cross and I don't have to carry it anymore. That's peace. And then in the fourth verse of the hymn, it speaks to the future that one day Jesus will return and we'll get to be with him forever. The peace of God, the good news of the peace of God, that's what gives you a foundation. That's what gives you a base, a preparedness so that you are ready to fight. It allows us to say it is well in every circumstance of life. I think back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. Against the king's order, which, once again, which went against the word of God, like they chose, we're not going to bow down to this statue. And they're thrown into the fire. But before they're thrown in, they say to the king, our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down to your statue. That's peace. Or I think about Daniel himself. When the new law comes out, that you're not supposed to pray to anybody except for the king, he chooses not to change his times with God. And his punishment comes, and yet he is ready for whatever because he knows that God is with him. Now, that does not mean he knows the outcome, but he trusts in God. That comes from peace. Or I even think about Peter, who's in jail in Acts chapter 12. He is scheduled to be killed the next day. And when the angel comes to free him, he's sleeping. He's sleeping. He doesn't let the craziness of his situation trump his following of Jesus. He's full of peace. These men, they lived the peace of God. They had their shoes of readiness and preparedness tightened. and They were living knowing the great news of peace. So let me just ask you this. Is your life full of peace right now? Like even if your circumstances are unexplainable, can you still just kind of take a step back, take a breath and smile? And if someone asks you, your honest answer is, it's only because of Jesus. It's only because of his spirit. And if so, like you're getting to experience the blessing of peace that Jesus offers, which is this amazing gift that we get to treasure greatly. Is your life full of true peace? Or would you say your life is just completely being knocked down right now? Like you're causing your feet to slip. It's giving you this beating and maybe it's because you've been searching for peace in all the wrong areas, in these temporary things, and therefore, like, you have no peace when that's the state of your world. Or maybe because you've been looking in all the wrong areas, you see nothing but the darkness around you. Or maybe because you've been fighting the battle on your own, you continue to lose. Jesus came so that we could have peace. God wants to give us the victory, but that starts with having the right shoes on. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. That word rule is used some, of someone who is umpiring games. Their ruling is final. And so will you let God's peace make the calls or the rulings within your heart, like based off the truth and not the lies that we've looked at? based on the fact that you are and you will always be a child of the king. 
Will you let his peace give you the foundation to stand firm amongst the storm around you? Because when the enemy comes at you, when he throws everything your way, and I mean everything he's got to take you down, will you be standing firm because you were ready, because your base was strong, because it comes straight from the peace that God gives to us? Like, that sounds great, doesn't it? Not the enemy part and throwing everything at us, but the peace. Like That just sounds like I want that. But you know, we can't have that peace without letting God lead you into battle. You can't have that peace without being a soldier on his side, without giving your life to him. And that's why we have the invitation time each week. It's not about you being worthy of choosing him. It's not about you having everything cleaned up in your life before you follow him. It's not even a promise that from this point on, everything is gonna be perfect. But it's an admission that I need God I need him to save me and be the one to transform me and I want his peace because everything else that I have tried does not deliver. It doesn't work. Don't keep retreating to that which does not give you real peace. That's not the life Jesus has for you. And so if you need to make a decision this morning to follow Jesus, then we want you to head to the decision point. And maybe you've already made that decision but there are moments in your life that you continue to search out the wrong things for peace and you just want someone to pray for you, then I encourage you to go to the decision point as well. Let's truly live with a firm foundation of the peace that God has given us so that we can win. If you have a decision to make, head to the decision point. Let's stand and sing.